Welcome to the Baptist Broadcast. Thank you for tuning in through Spotify, iTunes, Pad, Podca- Podcast Addict, Anchor.fm. If you're watching on YouTube, please click the subscribe button as that big gigantic reminder in the bottom right-hand corner lets you know to click the real subscribe button down in the right-hand side under the screen and the bell for continued notifications. Natural and positive laws... These are categories that many people have not heard of before, and they are categories that, even though they are not necessarily used explicitly in the Scripture, are nevertheless used to distinguish different kinds of laws that we uh, either perceive through the created order, or through Scripture, or both. And so what we want to do here is we want to look at those distinctions. They are very important. And what I, what I think I'll do is I'll start with natural law. And when we say natural law, I'm not saying anything uh, in this case, in, in this context. I don't, I don't want to make it sound like I'm, I'm talking about a law that is exclusive um, uh, to nature as if it's not revealed at all in Scripture. I'm talking about a law that's revealed both through nature and Scripture. So natural law is a law that is revealed both through nature and through Scripture. But we might say that insofar as it's natural, it is that moral law which is revealed and perceived through the creation. This is an explicit uh, reference in Romans 2. Uh, Romans 2 isn't teaching anything new with regard to the law being written on the hearts of the Gentiles, uh, the Gentiles being a law unto themselves. Uh, it is it is recapitulating something that has already been the case. Uh, the same with Romans 1, 18 through 20. A lot of people say, well, the only reason you know that uh, God has revealed himself to his whole creation through what is made is because of Romans 1, 18 through 20. No, Romans 1, 18 through 20, like Romans 2, 14, is a descriptive text. It's describing the status quo, how things have always been, and, and, and reality has always been constituted. So natural law is that moral law which is revealed and pursued received through the creation. All right, that's the definition that we're going with for natural law. And then positive law, this is um, uh, this is a, a very important uh, a, a type of law. It's a very important kind of law. And I have it defined here as the obligation specially revealed through Scripture alone and unique to a given covenant in Scripture. All right, so a positive law is not a law that you can perceive through the created order. A positive law is a law that is revealed only in Scripture, exclusively in Scripture, and is unique or exclusive to a given covenant. So, for example, think of the Levitical laws and the ordinances of the temple priesthood. Uh, that are instituted during the cutting of the Mosaic Covenant, during the institution of the Mosaic Covenant. Those laws are unique to that covenant, all right? Those, those what we would call ceremonial laws, are unique to that particular covenant. And so when the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 8.13 says that the old covenant uh, has, has passed away, um, we need to understand that as meaning that those laws which are unique to the Old Covenant, that really serve to make the Old Covenant or the Mosaic Covenant what it was, are now gone, are now annulled, all right? And, and, and what I mean by that is, is those laws which were unique, which were specific and exclusive to the Mosaic Law, 
uh, and to the Mosaic Covenant, those things have passed away with the Mosaic Covenant because those things are the things that made the Mosaic Covenant the Mosaic Covenant. Now, I'm not talking about other laws that are part of the Mosaic Covenant, which nevertheless are not distinct or unique or exclusive to the Mosaic Covenant. For example, the Decalogue, which we often call the Moral Law, is not exclusive to the Mosaic Covenant, though it is included in the Mosaic Covenant as a, uh, as a condition for keeping covenant with God. Um, nevertheless, those laws, the laws in the Decalogue, exist prior to the institution of the Mosaic Covenant, and they exist after, of course, the uh, phasing out of the Mosaic Covenant upon the uh, advent of Christ and the institution of the New Covenant. So when we're talking about positive law, we're talking about laws that are specific, unique, exclusive to particular covenants, and they're only revealed through Scripture. You can't get them through nature. They're not in general or natural revelation whatsoever. Um, now, when you think about that distinction, all right, and this gets us to conversations that are pertinent today, um, uh, theonomy, uh, uh, theonomic reconstruction, uh, how is 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 government supposed to function in light of the reality of God and who God is and what God has revealed about Himself? Uh, this this question or this this issue that we're talking about today is going to get us to that to that very pertinent discussion. So when we think about that distinction, natural law and positive law, there's obviously a distinction between those two things. Natural law uh, are are laws binding all men at all times and in all places. Sometimes it's called moral law. Um, and it's not unique to any given covenant in the in the in the scriptures, and it's revealed through nature as well as through scripture. Positive law being those obligations which God imposes upon man through specific covenants, and these positive laws can only be found in scripture. Baptism and the Lord's Supper are examples of positive laws instituted through scripture, not through nature, unique to the new covenant. Okay. So when we think about that distinction, and then we drop down and we begin to think about the civil law of Israel. The civil law of Israel, and, and here I'm assuming what's called a threefold distinction in the law. When we look at the Old Testament, we observe that there's a threefold distinction. Um, we have the moral, the civil, and the ceremonial. The moral, the civil, and the ceremonial. All right, that's the threefold distinction in the law of God as he's revealed it through Scripture and in the case of the moral law through nature as well. So when we're thinking about the civil law, the, these are uh, in the confession termed in, in chapter 19 of the Second London Confession. Uh, these are termed judicial laws. These are the laws specific to the nation of Israel, and they are really what organizes the nation of Israel, separates the nation of Israel as a political entity from the other nations in the world, the other pagan entities and nations in the world. This is the law that makes Israel really what it is as a political body or a body politic. So the civil law of Israel assumes natural law. All right, it assumes natural law. We know this because the law begins with the Decalogue in Exodus 20, and the Decalogue is not unique to the Mosaic Covenant. Every law found in the Decalogue, found in the moral law, can be found even in Scripture prior to the institution of the Mosaic Covenant, and I would argue that all of those laws, in principle, with the exception of perhaps the Sabbath, which has a positive law annexed to it, within the context of the Mosaic Covenant and the New Covenant, uh, with the exception of, of the Fourth Commandment, uh, all of the laws in principle are, are revealed through nature, and they're also revealed in Scripture prior to the institution of the Mosaic Covenant. The, this, the Sabbath is being observed in Exodus 16. 
Now, when I say that there's a positive law annexed to the Sabbath, what I mean by that is that there's a positive law of uh, concerning the timing of the Sabbath and concerning the details of the Sabbath and how the Sabbath is supposed to be uh, observed in particular and in religious society within the context of, of those covenants, either the Mosaic Covenant or the New Covenant. Um, but the the Sabbath principle or the principle of rest is something that is most certainly revealed through nature. Um, and so w- w- the, the civil law, the rest of the civil laws that develop out of the moral law, out of the Decalogue, those laws are uh, those laws are developed on the bedrock uh, of the moral law. They assume the moral law. So when we're talking about parapets around roofs in in Israel, and we're talking about certain agricultural laws that apply to livestock, that apply to um, that apply to uh, you know things like um, wheat harvest uh, harvest timing and things like that. Uh, when we're talking about laws concerning even um, foods and and what's clean and unclean, that we might consider those uh, as as ceremonial laws. But there's also textile laws and things of that nature. When we're thinking about laws like that. Um, those laws, especially the care of, of, of livestock laws that really serve uh, the agrarian society of Israel, we're thinking about laws like that that are germane to Israel's civil society. Uh, these laws assume, in principle, the moral law of God. They assume natural law. Are they natural law? No, they're actually positive laws because these, these particular uh, implications or these particular applications, rather, of the moral law in Israelitish society is unique to the Mosaic Covenant. So the civil law of Israel assumes the natural law, but it adds positive institutions to it, which are unique to the Mosaic Covenant. All right, these, and these positive institutions are unique to the Mosaic Covenant. In other words, when the Mosaic Covenant annuls, so too do these laws which are unique, which are original to the Mosaic Covenant, so too do those laws annul as well, because those are part and parcel with the covenant, with the Mosaic Covenant. The law unique to the Mosaic Covenant is the, is the stuff out of which the Mosaic Covenant is made. We, we, we might call it the matter. It's the matter of the covenant. And so it's very important to understand that this matter of the covenant, these particular laws, the civil laws and the ceremonial laws, uh, those laws just are what make the Mosaic Covenant what it is. And when the Mosaic Covenant annuls, uh, as, as Hebrews 8.13 says it does, then so does the matter of the covenant. Now, Hebrews 8.13 what I keep referencing says this, in that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. All right, so that covenant which has vanished away had laws that were unique to it that went along with that covenant. Now when we when we bring this conversation down and everything I've just said so far, we bring that down to the level of current uh, contemporary political discourse. We think about uh, theonomic reconstruction, uh, and and its growth in popularity. Uh, we can understand why it's grown in popularity. People are looking for solutions to the aberration of society and civil government we currently experience today. People want something else. And so they think that uh, theonomic reconstruction, uh, which is really the brainchild of R.J. Rush Dooney, is the option, right? Theonomic reconstruction is the option. Some people think, uh, some people believe, because they've been led to believe, that theonomic reconstruction is the only alternative to the kind of um, uh, godless society and government that we currently have today. And uh, brothers and sisters, let me just say, it's not. 
right? It's not. So when you're thinking about uh, your your doctrine of uh, political theology, uh, think about this carefully, because theonomic reconstruction, even though it's popular, even though it's the thing to believe, is not the only alternative to the craziness we have in government now. Theonomic reconstruction, here's some of the problems in light of what we've said already. Theonomic reconstruction takes for its doctrine of law the entirety of Old Testament law, excepting perhaps the ceremonial laws. So the ceremonial laws, which are uh, specific to the Levitical priesthood and all of the ordinances attached to the Levitical priesthood and the temple life of Israel, etc. With the exception of those laws, all of the law revealed to Moses and revealed to the Israelites at the base of Mount Sinai through Moses, all of those laws are laws that need to be applied in one way or another in society today. And the claim of the, the theonomic reconstructionist is that any given government has the responsibility to apply the whole of the Mosaic law, the whole of the civil law for Israel, which was specifically revealed and constituted through the Mosaic covenant, that any given national government has the responsibility to apply the whole Mosaic law within its sphere of authority, within its sphere of civil authority. So with the exception of, of ceremonial laws, uh, the, the Old Testament law is the is the standard for modern-day contemporary uh, jurisprudence, contemporary civil government. And the assumption, the baseline assumption, well, there are a few baseline assumptions being made here, of course, but one of the assumptions is that all law must be specially revealed law in order to be God's law. When you're reading Rush Dooney, and even when you're reading Joseph Boot in Mission of God, you'll realize that they view the natural law as something that is... Uh, that is, it's something other than God's law. And what I want to say in response to that is, no, natural law is not something other than God's law. Natural law is God's moral law as it has been revealed through nature by God. And so it is bindingly authoritative, right? And it, and it binds all men's consciences, including the men who are put in positions of leadership throughout this world. All men are responsible to uphold and govern according unto natural law. So natural law is not something other than God's law. It's often spoken of as if it's something other than God's law in uh, Rush Dooney's uh, massive tome, The Institutes of Biblical Law, but it's not something other than God's law. Natural law is that law which is revealed through nature, through creation. It is an article, we might say, of natural revelation, and it is perceptible to the mind. And so all men are held accountable to it, and all men will be judged uh, according to it. All men will be judged according to it. No man can get away from God's law, right? It's revealed through nature, and it's revealed through conscience as well. Um, and so we we have to remember that natural law, What we're, when, we, when I say natural law, I do not mean anything different from God's law. Rather, what I mean to say is that God has revealed his will or his law through two mediums, nature and scripture. And in the case of scripture, he's given us laws, extra laws, positive laws, which are not revealed through nature. Uh, they are given in addition to the natural law, and they are only revealed in the scriptures. So I think it's very important to make that distinction. When that distinction's not made, when that distinction's not made, what happens is we end up conflating um, uh, mixed articles or preambles of the faith 
and articles of the faith. In other words, what we do is we end up taking things which are revealed through Scripture alone and are given to us to be received by faith. We make those things binding upon individuals who have no God-given faith because we're trying to make uh, the whole of biblical law, which is specific to uh, to certain people at certain times through various covenants, through specific covenants, for those specific covenants. We're taking those laws, and we're, we're essentially saying these laws are obligatory even for those who do not live in covenant with God in the Mosaic Covenant, and even for those who do not live in covenant with God through the New Covenant in the blood of Christ, or by the blood of Christ, or by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saying that those who do not live in either Mosaic Covenant in the Mosaic Covenant, Mosaic or the New Covenants, those who do not live in those covenants, uh, which you can't live in the Mosaic Covenant now anyways, but the point stands, those who, those who do not live in those covenants are yet obligated to obey laws which are proper only to those who are members of those covenants. All right? And that's a misappropriation of biblical data. I'm not saying it's intentional, but it is a misappropriation of biblical data, and it is to use the scriptures in a way that the scriptures themselves do not um, do not authorize themselves to be used. They use they uh, to 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 say that um, Mosaic law uh, specific to the Mosaic covenant must be the standard of contemporary civil law uh, is to misuse. Uh, the word of God. It's to misuse God's special revelation. It's to it's to use it in a way that reaches far beyond its own stated purpose, right? Um, nowhere in the Mosaic law itself are you going to find, uh, with regard to uh, the civil law specifically, are you going to find uh, uh, statements that bind all the nations to uphold those laws which are specific to the Mosaic Covenant. You will find statements all over Scripture and commandments all over Scripture for the nations to obey God, for the nations to come to God, for the nations to uh, to rule in a godly way. But that rulership must be understood within the context of the moral law or the natural law, which is accessible to all men and known by all men and leaves all men without excuse because it's revealed through nature. Uh, with the exception of, of what I've said already, I really don't want to go any further than this. I, don't, I didn't want this to be too complicated of a video. I just I just want to say, look, theonomic reconstruction is not the only alternative to the to the craziness that's going on now. There's there's a rich um, uh, history of uh, of uh, theology in terms of God's law, uh, the theology, a political theology, uh, in confessional Baptist theology. Uh, there's there's a very extremely rich and um, uh, and uh, worthy content there that that needs to be explored before you make this jump into theonomic reconstruction, which seems attractive in the present, um, but when you really get down into the weeds of what it does, how it uses the scriptures, how it misappropriates parts of scripture, um, how it misuses parts of scripture. I think it can be seen that that theonomic reconstruction, even though it has good intentions behind it as wind in its sails, uh, I don't want to speak ill of R.J. Rush Dooney. I don't want to speak ill of his intent. I don't think I, I can speak ill of his intent. Um, there, there is good intention there. Uh, but 
it it fails to consider Scripture according to its own words, and it also fails uh, to consider the important distinctions that Scripture itself makes between covenants, um, covenants that have passed away, for example, the Mosaic Covenant, and laws that are specific to those particular covenants. I think it's it's very important that we distinguish according to God's covenants, because those are things that God himself has revealed to us to be known and to be distinguished according to according to special revelation. So, um, uh, hopefully this wasn't too uh, egg-headed, and hopefully it was it was summary enough to be useful. God bless you guys. If you haven't already, please click subscribe here on the channel. Thank you for tuning in. Um, we'll see you next time.